What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and you're listening to episode number 25. And the last couple of weeks have been super, super busy getting ready for the People at Work Summit. Our speakers are lined up. Our attendees are lined up. Our co-hosts are lined up. There's so much exciting stuff going on at the end of this week that I don't even know what to do with myself. But I did want to get a new episode of the show out, and we've been sitting on this one for a couple of weeks. And if you've listened to a previous episode where I had Vanessa Generelli on as a guest, you know that things get interesting and sometimes a little bit weird, but always fun and thought-provoking. And today's episode is no exception to that. Vanessa's back for another episode of The Stack, and I'm going to let her explain how The Stack works. So since she's going to do that, I'm just going to let us get straight into the show. I hope you enjoy it. Alex, when do you wake up in the morning and feel like an adult? I don't think I've ever woken up <laughs> like an adult that's not I mean I don't know that I I have a goal of waking up in the morning and feeling like an adult do you have a goal of waking up in the morning and feeling like an adult I feel like it catches me by surprise what do you mean by that like I I look in the mirror and I'm wearing a blazer and I'm like holy shit who is that adult like oh my god it got me it Whoops. caught up to me yeah like who hmm. dressed you this morning <laughs> exactly it's been a while since we sat down to uh, to a pair of microphones to have a conversation, hasn't it, Vanessa? Yeah, the our stack our stack is still strong. It just hasn't get, been given a lot of love. No, it's not. And you you're in a very different place since uh, the last time we recorded an episode of the stack, aren't you? That's true. I got a new job. Uh, I got a new job with Stellar.org, so I work in open source finance now. And uh, what else happened? I went to Africa. I went to Nigeria. We both went to Africa. We both went to Africa. You went to Asia. I did that. In the in the meantime. And you have a new house. I have a new house. Yeah. So we're like Indie Hall has a new home. Indie Hall has a new home. Oops. Which like Spoiler massive alert. sigh of relief. Spoiler alert. <laughs> for for future episodes, we'll be talking a lot more about that. Uh but yeah, Indie Hall has a new home. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um but we wanna bring back the stack. We wanna bring back the stack. When I usually for those listeners who are unfamiliar with the stack. Alex and I have had kind of a long-distance friendship over the past seven, eight years. I lived in Philadelphia. We became friends. I moved away, went to graduate school, traveled around the world, and we would orbit around each other. And whenever we would see each other, there would be this long list of things for us to talk about, and we would call it the stack. Uh, and Because I'm like type A and have an agenda for all my friends yeah yeah casual casual conversations (laughs) vanessa's like here's a bottle of whiskey and 17 things i want to talk to you about but it was never like talk at you about it was just like these are the things i want to know about in your life these Uh are the things i want you to know about my life i think these are conversations that i've been basically these are like the pent-up conversations Mm. that we've been wanting to have or you've been wanting me to have on your Mm -hmm. behalf Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the like sort of spoon fill uh, well, I frame that it. I frame the discuss. This the stack frames the discussion. That's but right. But we both, you know, participate in it and craft it. It's consensual. It's consensual. We're big into consent here. Um, so what's on the stack today? What's on the stack today? Today we're going to talk about investing in one's own health. Okay. And how investing in your health allows you to show up for others. We're going to talk about how our conceptions of money have changed over the past five years or perhaps even shorter than that. And we're going to talk about how we hold each other accountable and what mechanisms work and what we do at Indie Hall and in other communities to keep each other honest about what you're accomplishing and moving through the world. So, And part of the game here is for us to maybe, though maybe not, 
find a through line mm. through these otherwise potentially disparate topics because they seem unrelated from the outside. But if experience and history repeats itself as it tends to, there will be some connection that emerges. So that is a really fun part of this this game that we call the stack as well. So chances are there it's gonna have to do with community and participation and learning. Probably. <laughs> Spoiler alert number two. Chances are. Well, um, also for those of you listening, you you might not have seen Alex, but he's become this incredible shrinking man. And he's looking so healthy and amazing. And thank you. Yeah. That, uh, he's been working out. And so that's what made me think about how our changing conceptions of health and what we do to help ourselves that makes us better people to show up for the, our loved ones and our communities that we serve. And so I wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit. I can point to something really specific that I, I mean, for me, a lot of it comes down to I've gotten very good at figuring what I need to do in order to mm. get a certain outcome to happen. And that's not necessarily like how to brute force something into existence because another component of that sometimes is just being patient. Right. But I know how to put in the work to get something that I want. Mm. And I got to a point where I would see photos of myself and I would cringe. Mm. I just didn't like the way I looked and I would didn't like the way I felt. I was tired and I had a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I've taken control over so many parts of my life to make the life that I want, that there was this one thing that I just sort of completely let go of. I let just totally run rampant. And that was my health. And I mean, a lot of it came down to just like, eating like complete shit mm. like just if we're being totally honest like mm -hmm. my eating habits totally terrible i mean i eat good food but it's not always healthy food and i definitely wasn't paying attention to it and i've never really gotten into an exercise routine whatsoever so at the beginning of the new year i had started reading a blog by a guy named mike vacanti mm -hmm. Um, I believe his website is on the com, and uh, a little confession of how I found Mike. He is my friend, Gary Vaynerchuk's full-time CEO of Gary's body is basically how they framed their working relationship. <laughs> Talk about consent. Right? That's like <laughs> Gary. I've watched Gary in the last year. I think go through what I've started mm. to in the last two months, two and a half months, which is, take control over his health mm -hmm. and not that Gary was like a, a massively obese person or an unsuccessful person in any way, shape or form. But I think he realized that that was one thing where he was just sort of living life and mm -hmm. the results were catching up with him. Mm -hmm. And he, because he's like a high powered CEO and a media personality and all these things, he hired someone who, is full time in charge of his diet, in mm -hmm. charge of his workout, because he essentially realized that he needed someone to teach him how to do it. He, he, to a degree, needed to outsource mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that knowledge as well, but someone to be his training wheels. And I watched Mike from from a, like a, a distance, of mm -hmm. course, because this is through Gary's like video blog. I watched this guy keep showing up in Gary's blog, and I'm like, also watching Gary drop serious weight, and. 
I was like, that's interesting. I gotta check out what this guy's about. And I watched mm. some of his videos and read some of his blog posts and realized that, you know, on the surface, this was a guy who, and Mike, I'm sorry for listening, but my first impression, you look like every other trainer out there. <laughs> like, like you look like a guy who is given the gift of an awesome body. Okay. And you're super fit mm-hmm. and you're the guy I expect to see in the gym. And you're the guy that I initially react to and say, mm. He can't teach me how to be like that. And more importantly, I don't want to be like that. So he can't help me. But then I read his stuff and I read the way he coaches and I read sort of his outlook on nutrition. What appealed to you about it? It I mean, was so realistic. Okay. And I, on a lark, I just kind of apply, I hit a, yeah. apply for his coaching program, mm-hmm. not really knowing much about it other than having seen the results that, that he mm-hmm. got Gary. And he came back with this really long questionnaire And on that questionnaire, I was super honest about what I wanted to accomplish, which was also realistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a longer term goal. So, so I, I've been sitting at like 250 pounds for a really long time, which is really unhealthy for someone my size. Um, I long-term would like to be below 200 pounds Mm -hmm. again. That would be a win for me. But I also know that I've got to start like 10 pounds at a time. 10 pounds at a time. And also I just wanted to jump in and say you you do so much showing up for other people and that means like beers after work to talk about you know a problem one of your f- friends are having or going to an event and having like the barbecue or whatever it is there that like it sounds like this was finally a realization where you had to take some time to do you before you could show up for other people i think you're more right than you might even realize <laughs> like this was very much I spent a lot of time looking after other people mm-hmm. I'd gotten really bad at looking after myself mm-hmm. that's absolutely true so uh when well, among the realities I shared with Mike is what you just described mm-hmm. I have a business life and a social life and they're kind of the same thing that are intertwined yeah. both heavily related to food mm-hmm. and drink uh Patterson being a chef means we go out and we mm-hmm. eat all kinds of, we celebrate It's really, food. Alex's tough life with his fiance, who's a beautiful chef. It's I'm, really tough I'm for him. I'm a really lucky guy. <laughs> I'm a really lucky guy. Uh, so, you know, I was like, I'm willing to make changes in my life, but there are certain things that I, if they need to mm-hmm. go away entirely, mm-hmm. this isn't going to stick. And I know mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. I want to put that out up front. And the reason that I knew this was if there was somebody out there who could help me, this was the guy was he looked at that reality and said, yeah, absolutely. So there was some slack there that you could cut. It was built into the plan. Cool. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, on the 15th of January, Mm -hmm. I officially signed up with Mike's coaching program. He put together a exercise Mm -hmm. and diet program for me. I spent the first two weeks diligently working out Mm -hmm. and completely losing my mind trying to learn how to eat like a healthy person. I saw Alex's eyes darting when I would ask him to go out and have dinner or make dinner. He was just like, Oh my God, new framework for the world. Let me slice this into my new framework. It was, it was humbling in that way where I was looking at this going, okay, there's clearly a system Mm -hmm. because Mike teaches a system, but it's totally foreign to me. The things that I'm used to being able to eyeball, Mm -hmm. I can't like he had me counting macronutrition and he was able to do it by eye. He can Mm -hmm. estimate because he's been doing it for a while. Whereas I look at it and I go, I don't really know what a playing card deck sized piece of meat is. Mm -hmm. So that correlation doesn't Mm -hmm. mean anything Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. me. 
Um, but having little training wheels, like if I did eat out at a meal, I could take a picture of the menu, take a picture of the food, mm-hmm. and he would estimate the macros Whoa. for me so I could get an idea of what a plate yeah. translated to. So having this person who is there, my little my little uh, Italian guardian angel who sat on my shoulder and it wasn't so much about being accountable. It was having a person to turn to when I was uncertain Yeah, made me okay getting through that period of uncertainty. And it made mm-hmm. me think a lot about the role when I play that role for mm-hmm. other people. Basically mm-hmm. I, it's been a long time since I've been coached Yeah, and I've spent a lot of time in the last 10 years coaching other people in various capacities. And it made me hyper aware of what it's like to be on the receiving end of coaching, regardless of what it is. Mm. And I mean, I really admire you for being this open about it. Cause what you're doing is you're uh, creating a ladder or like a pathway for other people to follow. Right. Um, whether it's through this particular person's training, Mike, but other community folks out there who are like, I've been giving my everything to the community and Oh my God, where, where are my personal relationships? Where's my health? Like the, what have you noticed about your life now? How can you better show up for others? What are your limits like and your boundaries like now? How are they different? I mean, I've got more energy. That was like the biggest thing to notice mm-hmm. up front is like, I don't wake up feeling like a lump. I He's wake- a pretty cute lump, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I wore it well. I knew how to dress, but uh-huh. like, I, I, I feel better. I feel mm-hmm. better when I, when I look at myself, I just feel better energy wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, um, and I feel there's like a sense of co- confidence, I mm-hmm. guess, that comes with getting good at something that not that long ago I was bad at. Mm-hmm. And yep. even just the, the awareness around what I'm eating and making choices. And I don't have to, I don't have to not eat things I like. Mike taught me how to calibrate so that I can go out and have a super mm-hmm. fancy dinner that is, you know, rich in fat and mm-hmm. I can eat whatever the hell I want, but I've got to calibrate somewhere else. And so that's helped me both in, in the eating, but also just in general thinking about that juggling act is, and I, I was a, this is, I already worked from a position of, you know, life doesn't operate in zero sum mm-hmm. games. So everything is give and take, mm-hmm. but this has just been, it's been a long time since I paid this detailed attention to something that's new to me because I haven't had such a, I guess a short on ramp to something that's mm-hmm. this new in a really long time. So what did, uh, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, right? What have you observed about being a beginner again? And like how that discomfort when you're learning something, something new. The need, the feeling of the need to get it right Mm. is strong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was making, so Patterson helped out big time. So Mm -hmm. Mike gave me my macronutrition Mm -hmm. amounts, my, my basically my budgets Mm -hmm. and Patterson being a chef who also happens to be trained in culinary nutrition was able to take what I was needed Mm -hmm. to hit and turn it into some recipes, some things that I could actually make for myself that Mm -hmm. would be tasty and easy to make Mm -hmm. and all of those things. And I was super anxious about getting that wrong, about getting Mm -hmm. the recipe wrong, Mm -hmm. about getting Mm -hmm. the count wrong. I was tracking everything down to the freaking mm-hmm. button, right? Yeah. And I did that really diligently for about a month, and that stress started to go away. The pain started to subside. And I just got more confident in mm-hmm. saying, that doesn't feel like too much more or less than I had yesterday mm-hmm. or the last time I had that. So I got better at eyeballing stuff. And 
to think about how different that is inside of 30 days, like 30 days is not a lot of time to go from freaking out every time I go to the grocery store, even, and this is a, might be a big one. Grocery stores are my own personal hell. (laughs) I hate going to the grocery store. It was, it was like me when I was a kid. My dad used to threaten to take me to Best Buy. It was like, happy place. <laughs> but no, I get it. Okay, yeah, it's the same, the same thing. Like the lighting, the choice, the overwhelming choice, the flashing everything. It's also got, like, if, if you don't have a sense of, you know, portions or, mm-hmm. or something, like, there's so much overwhelming choice. On top of that, am I going to buy the right mm-hmm. thing? Do I buy the wrong, wrong amount? Do I buy too much? Not mm-hmm. enough. There was a, the first time we went shopping, Patterson and I, with her recipes, they were out of two ingredients that we had on the list. And you were freaked I out. I lost my freaking mind. <laughs> well, and you, she, yeah. was, she was like, what's the yeah, big what's deal? Yeah, what's the problem? We'll adjust. And I'm like, but how? You yeah. gave me the recipe. I can't. And I'm like, it's, it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be perfect. And that jump is so important when we're teaching someone something new is that like two things can happen, right? Someone can eventually have the confidence, develop the confidence to make the jump, to make the routine their own, right? Or they can follow something really diligently and be like, oh, this isn't working. I'm not doing it right and abandon it. Um, And that relates to what my investment is, which I started therapy about a year ago. um, And Alex asked how it was going, and uh, and I said, "Well, there's no winning therapy." Um, and I remember that very vividly because uh, yeah. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." There's no there's no winning therapy, and but I had the des- I also had the desire to like be good at it, um, and I needed, and that's why I like behaviorism and all these apps is so successful because with a badge or a timer or a counting of something, you can be like, "I am making progress," but something like therapy or personal development of any kind, like usually there isn't winning. There's just less losing. Like you're the eventual balance that you came to with your health is you're not winning by having like the exact right meal every day. You're winning by feeling healthier and like have a new confidence in your body. It's less losing. Um, or more losing since it's weight, <laughs> but I get lit- it. like literal. Yeah. And maybe I'm mixing my metaphors, but like, I just remember so clearly when my friend, when the rest of my friends want to change their behavior, you know, they log calories, they log steps. And, uh, and that was really what I was anxious about. And I wanted the same thing to happen with therapy. And my therapist was like, that's not going to happen. Um, you're going to start noticing correlations between your behavior and what you put out in the universe and what you get back. And that's going to be like the first thing that you observe, but you have to, you have to build in these reflective periods like once a week you sort of reflect on the decisions that you made which ones are good which ones are bad and like notice the delta there I mean I did start to notice correlations in my health and being able to show up better for others um I noticed that when I was uh when I was smoking I would after I had a cigarette I would get like really anxious I would have very very anxious thoughts about everything that went on that day and so that was one correlation and if I was like super panicky about something that was going on about at work I noticed that I would get panicky about my health as well. And so those things were linked. Like if I was feeling insecure, I was feeling insecure about everything. And that sort of, those correlations are something you don't notice unless you put in the work as you in, you know, as you would say, just fucking do it. Like you have to put in the work. You can't just say like, Oh, I, I, 
went to therapy like once a week. It doesn't seem to be working for me. Blah, blah, blah. There's like, so many, so many things in our lives that give us this immediate feedback loop that we right. become super dependent on it. That totally. We're not used to things that maybe you need a 30 day period of just doing the thing every mm-hmm. day before you notice it. Or maybe it's not even 30 days, like seven days. So, I mean, I can, I can think of the difference between the first day and the seventh day of, yeah. of being specific about just even thinking about what I was eating instead of just eating whatever it was that would mm-hmm. be, be in front of me. Um, there was another, you know, the, the, this was also time to moving into the new house. And I think mm-hmm. there was some, some stress about preparing food in the old house because mm-hmm. the old house's kitchen was complete garbage. Yeah. That was really not a fun place. Whereas your new kitchen is freaking awesome. Yeah. And it created a level of excitement. Like I really like making stuff mm-hmm. in the new kitchen and I've never really considered myself someone who liked cooking. I didn't consider myself someone who was good at cooking, but What's been fun, and we've been in the new house for a month now, Mm -hmm. just over a month, like a month and a week, and we've cooked in the house most nights, whether it was me making Mm -hmm. something, Patterson making Mm -hmm. something, Kara and her boyfriend making something. We have a new housemate, Will, uh, who's joined us for meals. So like, there's more cooking going Mm -hmm. on in the house, and it wasn't something that I felt like I was missing for some reason. But I'm feeling way more awesome about the, sitting down to a meal with mm-hmm. my housemates being a recurring part of my day. It's not every day. It doesn't need to be every day. But it is very anchoring. Like the when I'm on the road, the first thing that I do as soon as I get back is I, I'm sure that I sign my, myself up to cook Sunday dinner for my house, my communal house. Because it's so like... Well, first of all, since I'm Italian, I like nothing better than like shoving food down people's gullets. But uh, <laughs> But as far as like... Okay, reminding yourself of like this is the life I live. I designed it this way. These are the people I've chosen to have in my life. It's just like such an anchoring ritual. I'm thinking about it in juxtaposition to my previous. So I'm not like a bad eating habit in terms of what I was choosing to eat, but most of the time it would be I'd be sitting on the couch eating off of the coffee table, watching TV or surfing the internet. Like it was a very I don't know. Like I say that out loud. I'm like, ugh. why would I do that? Like, mm-hmm. that sounds like the worst version of having a meal, which is this like celebratory communal right. type experience. Yeah. And I, I put that in such stark juxtaposition to every moment I have in my day otherwise, which is surrounded by other people in mm-hmm. dialogue, active. And it was such a passive, yeah, thoughtless you just thing. just took it. And like, it makes so much sense that it was mm-hmm. bad for me because it was so passive and thoughtless. No wonder I, it resulted in something it, yeah. terrible. You were so funny when we were talking about your improved health and, and mindset around this. You were like, well, it appealed to me because I'm a little like obsessive in, about most things. So why wasn't I obsessive about this? It meant that you weren't engaged like with it as a daily practice. I just wasn't paying any attention. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that we weren't paying any attention to, but now we do. Um, Good segue. (laughs) Let's talk about money. Yeah. Um, And this you've had some big changes in in your relationship with money. Profound changes. Um, Well, when when Alex and I met, I don't know, close to around ten years ago now. Uh, hmm. Uh, When Alex and I met, I only worked at nonprofits. I thought, well, specifically because in education, I was 
one should be suspicious of where profit is made in education. And I still believe that. I but, agree. But I thought that for profits were evil. I thought they were the devil. And um, and yet we were friends somehow. <laughs> well, but it's because we have this overlap with mission-driven work and, uh, and ethical work. You said once... You'll figure it out. I'm very patient or something like that. And I was like, I, I gave it this death look. Like, <laughs> but I, wait, as a baseline, let's both take our temperatures about money. How do you think about money? What think, does money let you do? I think money is awesome. Yeah. It, money, money is the lever to do anything and everything that I want in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and I believe that to be true of every human being on the planet. Uh, there's money doesn't buy you happiness. That is true. But understanding how money works and how it flows, I mean, I don't know if I've ever said it this way, but like money is not a system, but it's a very important part of many systems. Mm -hmm. Not understanding money means you are inherently at a disadvantage in the modern world. There may have been times where that wasn't true, but I think if we abstract money as currency back to trade, it's basically always been true. Mm -hmm. So for me, my relationship with money and its evolution really comes down to how it's part of how you interact with people and part of how you answer problems. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I can say that I think has been important for me is that realizing that you can't be a slave to money, like money is inert, Mm -hmm. but people treat it like it's active and like it has some power over them. And, that's only the case if, like my health, you treat it as a completely passive interaction. But if you mm. take an active role with money and how money interacts with you and other people, the world works. Not just better or worse. Like, mm. it works. It's, it's, I think that's cool. Well, something that, that you... Actually, let me walk that statement back. You don't win by pretending that it's not there, I guess, is a big realization. And that's something that, like... You're, you're describing all the different functions that money has, but so much of the nonprofit world pretends as if, as if it isn't there. Um, but there's like, in the absence of talking about it really frankly, of course there are politics around it and, uh, and strings pulled and whatnot. And all that happens in a really like not transparent way because we're not really candid about where the money comes from or the sustainability of the things that we're going to do. That last one is the big thing for me Mm -hmm. is when I'm putting my energy into something, I want to make the decision early on of whether or not this is something that I want to be able to continue doing or that I want it to be able to continue past me doing it. Right. And that sustainability function so often is tied to money in one way or another. And the source of the money is going to impact that dramatically. Dramatically. And I, Since joining Stellar.org, which is an organization that lets you build low-cost financial services on its platform, uh, I've realized that economics, money is a source of empowerment. It's actually like the root cause of so much social injustice in the world. So the nonprofit entire sector is doing a huge disservice by not taking it head on because people having a place to put their money... and and rule of law and justice, like all these things are like the bedrock of democracy and all the kinds of progress that we want to see as hippies. Um, but yeah, so I'm like, the, my, my thinking about money is is evolving. And uh, I did this, I did this exercise 
a week ago or so, one of my friends asked me to write her bio. Uh, and she's a consultant, kind of like me. Uh, and I wrote her bio and I realized that like, I was outlining where she had value, where she added value into the supply chain of that consultancy. And that's what she could charge for, right? And then I realized that part of you my- You couldn't have done that a year ago. No, 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 no. And, and, and part of my evolution on my thinking about money is that I now had confidence that I added value into the supply chain of the organization that I worked for, that I could actually see what, I, what impact I had on a project, put a dollar amount on it, and walk into a room and say, no, actually, I am worth this thing in the marketplace. Um, so yeah, one, one piece is evolving about like sustainability of the enterprises and the people we serve. One piece is this confidence that I have in my own value and that I want others to have in their, um, in their work. I mean, so many people, you ask them, what do what do people pay you money for? And they have no idea. This is like one of the most shocking things for me (laughs) as a professional has been to learn how few people understand not where their money mm-hmm. comes from in terms of, you know, whose signature mm-hmm. is at the bottom of the check, but why that person even Why does that person pay you? Um, and, uh, and what problem are you solving? And, uh, and I'm so thankful to Stellar for letting me try on lots of different hats. Like I, so I want to know what about the experience at Stellar has cracked this open. Is there like a moment where you were like, oh, I get it now? Or is this the accretion of mm, lessons or a, yeah, what, think, what in the last year of working for this organization changed your perspective? So I, uh, in the, I mean, besides the fact that it's all about financial access and, and realizing that, um, how did that factor into your decision to work for Stellar? Because you okay. knew this was going to be about money going yeah, in. Yeah, it's true. And yet you chose actively to leave a... I loved P2PU. You yeah. left the education world where you were successful. Right. You were happy. Yes. You were good at your job. You knew what you were doing. You took a leap into a direction that was different. And not just different, but like... Different sector. Yeah. And 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 uh, philosophically, mm-hmm. your own personal hell. <laughs> Um, I took it because I wanted to, I wanted to think through how I felt about money. Like that, it was the number one reason why, I mean, the team's great. Uh, the mission's great, but like, since I was afraid of this concept, when you and I would talk about money, I would put my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 la. Confirmed. <laughs> I really wanted to tackle this head on. I won't say that I've, uh, it's settled in my mind, but I, I definitely have a different view of financial services I have a different view about money and in the and its role in the relationship. Uh and and I feel like other people need to know this because That's an interesting thing. Like the, <laughs> this is an infection. And I I, yeah. I I mean again as someone who start started multiple businesses now and I help other people start businesses, I very much view it as I have this lever. Mm-hmm. I have this tool, this fulcrum that lets me do things. It's my superpower and you not having it I don't want to say it bums me out, but it bums me out. Mm. And I look at people around me who are so talented and so good at what they do. And the only thing that's missing is this understanding of where they provide value and how to ask and, and initiate that exchange when, and granted that's a massive oversimplification, Mm. but I think it's at the heart of lots of smaller problems, the things that people stress about that I 
I'm very grateful to not have to stress about because I understand this tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and you asked, you understand this tool. It doesn't, it doesn't scare you to have to go out and create your own paycheck because you know you provide value. You asked about one event that was the big, the big uh, game changer for me. I ran a fundraising drive in the winter of 2015. It was my first time I ever asked anyone for money personally, my friends, my family. It had two purposes or actually two results. One, by sending a newsletter to my friends and family, they knew what I did. And I was like able to invite them into this new world of financial access in a way that they couldn't understand before and b i asked my friend lancy sylvia who has she been on this show she hasn't she should okay be. she should be i asked my friend lancy sylvia who runs who does like development for nonprofits. i was like how do i run a fundraising campaign and she said vanessa when i run fundraising campaigns i have a post-it note that i keep on my computer and it says money is an act of love and allows me to do to like accomplish the social change that i want to happen in the world and so the, the fundraising campaign, when I realized money was an act of love and it gives me momentum to the, to the projects that I want to work on, that was really the game changing piece. That's big. There's two things in there that stood out to me that, that last statement, which you, I'm glad you said multiple times because it's deeply resonant mm-hmm. that, that the exchange of money is an act of love. The other thing you use the word invitation mm. And that's a word that we talk about a lot here in terms of how we build culture at Indie Hall. And it's a framing that I use a lot when I'm working with other co-working mm-hmm. spaces and really organizations in general. When you, a lot of times you come from the perspective of how do I get somebody else to do something? Mm-hmm. Even, just think about the difference. How do I get somebody else Versus to do something? Versus invite them into the process. The result is going to look different. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the actions that you take to get there are also going to look different. So... Uh, you know, announcing, you could have announced I'm doing this work Mm -hmm. and I need this money for this reason, but that's not what you did. Mm -mm. No. Can you describe what made your outreach an invitation? Uh, Besides making the subject line an invitation to my wedding. Which made everybody freak out. (laughs) That was clearly on purpose. And and the trick, the the reality is is you only get to do that once. (laughs) That was one email with 100% open rate. I I knew everyone was going to open that. Um, I, I, the way that I, that I framed the ask was, uh, this is what the money is going to allow me to do. It's going to allow me to go to Nigeria, do this research with Nigerian developers change the open source game from 1% contributions coming from the continent of Africa and move that Delta um, and create an open financial network that'll connect 300,000 women in rural Nigeria. And that was like, and any dollar amount you're like contributing directly towards that goal. What were you thinking about when you were writing that email? And I'm going to narrow that even a little bit more. Who were you thinking about when you were writing that email? So you wrote that email and sent it to how many people? 60 maybe okay were there any particular people in that list of 60 that you were thinking about specifically while you were writing it um i mean all of my friends are nerds like even my dad's a nerd so uh so most people would get the open source language and why it's important um and then the other folks who aren't nerds actually nerds and feminists everyone on the list was like nerd a nerd and a feminist and so like framing it in terms of what this money will like move forward um, were things that they, you had a strong degree of confidence that they already cared they about. They already cared about. Um, no. Which is different from trying to get somebody to care about something they don't already care about. Right, right. Um, 
And also uh, concretely answer the question, like people, I, I said, hey, if you don't give to nonprofits or, you know, you're broke, I still love you. But write me a note back and tell me what you think I do for a living now. And uh, and so I also got a note, some feedback on what, on my messaging, on what people, like what stuck. So, so there was no way to lose. No way to lose. Super interesting. In asking for money, there was no way to lose. How weird is it to hear me say that? It is the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my 32 and a half years on this planet. <laughs> um, speaking of weird things to come out of our mouths, should we talk about peer-to-peer accountability? Sure. Unless you... What would you like to talk about related <laughs> to peer-to-peer accountability? I have, I'm, I'm legitimately uncertain. You're legitimately uncertain. How you want to approach this topic. So I'm following your lead. Okay, so I... What I thought would tie these two things together, investments in our health and discussing money, is that there are different accountability systems in play for both. When we set intentions for the first of the year that we're going to do something, whether it be launch a business, lose so-and-so many pounds, um, so many of those things. I'm down 25, by the way. (gasps) I'm so proud of you. You look so good. Guys, he, he looks really great. Give him a shout out on Twitter for his po- his pics that he posts. But yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to, to hold him accountable. Um, but, you know, what are the mechanisms that work when, you know, in your experience with 30 by 500, when people are like wading through, like really slogging through the homework that you give them and like the feedback that you give them can be harsh to hear too, right? Um and, uh, and it, you know, that goes for financial services applications and saving money and all these things. How do you hold people accountable and what works? So I don't think anyone can hold another person accountable. Mm. I just don't think it works. That's a bold statement. And yet, and yet, so you're talking about where the locus of power comes from. That's right. Um, we have this. Slack channel at Indie Hall called Daily Goals, where people individually post what they want to get done today, and then they mark it off as they do it. And it's a it's a kind of peer accountability where you're individually motivated. All right, now I know what we're talking about. Yes. So Daily Goals is one of my favorite things <laughs> right now. Um, and it is so because, and actually, I can I can share a little bit of genesis of, please, of where please. it came from. So uh, a couple months ago, we did a little team retreat, myself and Adam and Sam and Sean, just to get us out of Indie Hall to work on us as a team. We're always working on Indie Hall. We wanted to work on ourselves and us, us as a team. And we came up with the realization there was two things. One is we each were struggling with things that we wanted to do that were out of band of the things that normally get done, right? So there's the things that get mm-hmm. done every day, the things that sort of you respond to because they're there. And there's always something else that like, I need to get that done. Mm-hmm. And we needed to be doing a better job of communicating with each other of what else we were trying to get done, essentially so we could provide air cover for each other. Mm-hmm. That's what this was about. It wasn't about making sure you were doing that. It was about making sure you had the space that you said you need to get it done. Mm-hmm. That way, if you don't get it done, the only person you have to blame, blame is, is yourself. You, yeah. Right. That's okay. why I say, don't mm-hmm. think anyone else can hold you accountable. 
what we realized then is how cool it would be to do that process in public. Mm -hmm. So we already had the Daily Goals channel at Indie Hall, which was used pretty intermittently. Mm -hmm. I would say very intermittently. So we said, we're going to do this. We're going to commit to all four of us doing this by 9.30 a.m. every morning, whether I do mine first thing in the morning generally. Adam and Sam often do theirs right when they walk in the door. We're going to post that in the Daily Goals. Mm -hmm. And the other benefit to that is that members that are in daily goals are going to get to see what we do. Right. And when the four of us do this job that it's pretty unclear what we actually do all day, it would be really valuable for members to know sort of where our heads are at, what things we're working on, what not obvious things we're working on. And all of those things sort of wrapping up gave us the real, gave us the tool that we could actually commit to it. And again, it was a daily practice. We're going to hold each other to it for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Hey, I posted my goals. Where are yours? That was the closest thing to a peer accountability. It was simply by doing it, by by three of us having the momentum of actually doing it, the fourth would more likely do it. And the other thing that started to happen is other members started jumping on board as well. Other members started jumping on board as well. and And by doing this in public and opening up inviting others to participate with their daily goals. Uh, it's this distributed support network. Like the, uh, I didn't really know, for instance, like what Neil Barton does. I still do- don't. <laughs> no idea. We'll have him what on the show does. to find out. Yeah. Because I hasn't, he has not been on the show. He should be on the show. I don't know what we'll talk about. And, uh, and But now I know like what he posts in daily goals. I know like the nuts and bolts of what he's doing. Um, and people would ask me questions about, uh, about development and fundraising as I'm learning it. Um, so, so yeah, it's this, it's this fantastic mechanism and that plays into a couple things that we've been talking about. Invitations, yep. doing it in public, providing a ladder for someone else or a path for someone else to follow. Um, and what's the most surprising thing that you've seen out of daily goals? Honestly, the thing the, the thing that surprises me the most is how often I get a personal message from somebody that says, thank you for doing daily goals. It's the most nice. inspiring thing in my day, nice. which like, I mean, I can say for many days it is among the most inspiring things in mm-hmm. my day. I get to learn what people do right. and how they do it. And sometimes I'll see an acronym or a word and I'll just say, what's mm. that? Hurt? Yeah. yeah. And the ability to do that, like it's just this really awesome framework to hang all kinds yeah. of other conversations on. It's been really really helpful also to have a because there's like a preliminary practice that this sort of requires is you actually have to think about what your goals for the day are yeah and that's like again a reflective practice that we need to do at the sort of to bookend our day or bookend our week um most days of the week and i'm not and i again when you set a goal at 100 percent completion the odds of you succeeding are Mm. small Um, the goal instead for me is as often as possible to set my goals for the next day, the night before. So when I wake oh, up, interesting. I have, I, so I use day one mm-hmm. is the iPhone app I use for all my journaling. I use mm-hmm. it for my spark file. It's where I'm just like, it's my mental scratch pad. Right. And usually one of the last things I do for the day is I say, well, what's got to get done tomorrow? And I bullet point it out and I get as specific as I can. Mm-hmm. If there are times that specific things are happening, I put appointments on there too. So like, uh, you know, certain time of the day, this thing is going to happen or by this time and giving myself two hours to do this. So like I'm getting really specific about it. 
And so first thing in the morning, I wake up, I look at that, make sure there's no things I forgot or that I need to change. And by the way, I can change stuff because I'm the boss. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I just, just, I rolled so hard uh, and then I, <laughs> and then I paste it into the daily goals uh -huh. chat and I scroll around and see who else has posted theirs. And mm -hmm. then I get on with my day. That's it. Mm. And then there's also, there is something really satisfying about going back and we, we use Slack. So we use emojis mm -hmm. to check things off. Right. And people, this is another one of those, like, no, nobody said, Hey, let's use different emojis. But people do it, and it's just, it's more. If there's a thing that could possibly be more satisfying than crossing something off with a big fat marker, it's putting it's an emoji. It's putting Check. like a the least appropriate emoji you could possibly mm -hmm. think of in front of the thing that you just finished. And and this is the way so many communities work. Good communities is that they have these rituals for celebration and for progress. Like uh, though though I'm not a crossfitter uh what has made crossfit so successful as i understand it as a peer-to-peer -peer instructional designer is when people post their personal records and their personal bests and like the support that they get from the community after they achieve that there's something really cool when somebody posts a list of to-dos for the day and you're like oh it's freaking long i'm yeah. overwhelmed for you and at the end of the day it's They've, all like, got an emoji it. in yeah. front of it and i'm like bravo yeah i'm impressed uh i apparently need to pick up pace because you got today you got done no no there is something different however what makes daily goals and one's pr or their wad or um or their day one what makes that different than stand-up why is it better than stand-up if it is i think and stand-up we're referring to the agile development methodology that all of you should know but it's a good question. And we tried a couple of different stand-up type mm -hmm. mechanisms for our own team. And I think the issue was it we it tried to conflate a couple of things. And that was marking what's gotta happen or what's in the way with the conversation that mm -hmm. we should be having as a team. And I think a lot of times, a lot of the tools that we found, a lot of the process our instinct as a team and our habits around communication were to make it a discussion, but stand up is by design meant to be as fast and efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it doesn't mm -hmm. really leave room for conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas this separates mm -hmm. the two things, whereas the daily goals are mine. Mm -hmm. And if there's conversation that like hangs off of them, that's cool, but it's not required. It can be synchronous. Asynchronous doesn't really matter. What we then do separately is now that we each know what each other is working on, we can go into our staff room and deeply hash it out. Say, hey, I saw you working on this. Yeah. Do you like I would like to have a quick conversation about that before you get into it. It doesn't need to be now. Let me know when it's good. Or um, or again, air traffic control. Hey, I know you've been working on that for a couple of days. Do you need coverage to mm -hmm. make sure you can finish it? So th separating those two processes I think has helped a lot. It's made it more about a personal, a very personal goal mm -hmm. with a secondary effect of us being a good team means helping each other have everything we need. It's not about reminding you that it should be done. You writing it down is all the reminder you need. Yeah, because you're setting your intention yourself. You're directing how your day is going to go. How can we best support each other? Nobody else could possibly want something for you more than you do. Hmm. And if they do, 
even if they do, it's not going to make you do it more or less. And it certainly isn't going to make it stick. That's why I think that most peer to peer accountability is super broken. Um, Quick plug for the other show, Stacking the Bricks. <laughs> if you go check out Stacking the Bricks episode 20, mm. Amy did a little three and a half minute rant. She's got these new rants that she's calling a swift kick in the ass. So it's a three minute monologue from her about why accountability just doesn't work. Mm. I want to ask you one more question. Okay. Um, because we still are coming up on the people at work summit. Right. And you are one of the speakers. I am a person at work. You are a person at work. That's true. And one of the questions that we've been asking speakers who've been coming on the show recently in preparation for the summit is for them to describe what an excellent day of work looks like and feels like. How do you know that you've had an excellent day of work, Vanessa? How do I know I've had an excellent day at work? Well, I love to do a bunch of different things, and I feel really satisfied when I sketch out the logic for an application for a new grant and I design a new onboarding process onto stellar.org and I read several chapters of a book and I have meetings where I work on copy for a newsletter. Like to me, the making meaty progress on several different kinds of projects makes me feel satisfied. Um, also, I'm part of a remote team. And so when I see my colleagues be successful, and that usually happens for me later in the day. So I, I, I make my own personal headway in the morning. And then I sort of see my colleagues celebrate their successes in the afternoon. That's, that's a good day. I think now we can put a pin in it. Okay. That's the stack, my friend. <laughs> Vanessa, we right. should do this again. I know. Not 14 months apart. I know. Has it really been 14? It's something like that. I don't know. It's probably Holy been a year since we did this Holy fucking shit. So, uh, my friends, if you enjoyed this episode of The Stack, if you like this format, I know it's different, a little more wandering, but hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, let us know on Twitter. Vanessa, how do people find you on the interwebs? Mozzadrella. Uh, Mozzadrella.me is my website, and Mozzadrella is my handle on Twitter. Super cool. All right, uh, and come and see Vanessa, listen to Vanessa, meet Vanessa during the People at Work Summit. She's got some super exciting stuff uh, related to these conversations. We're going to be talking about money. about money, yeah. uh, but lots of other things. Uh, super excited that she gets to join us and uh, meet all of you as well. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Alex. You're welcome, Vanessa. Bye. <laughs>